Hey there, moon babies. Welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. I'm your other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because there's just too much in this world that doesn't make sense. Including Instagram's community guidelines. Those make absolutely no sense. If you don't know, sweet angels, we have a scammer. We have a copycat. There's an imposter spiritual gaze Instagram account. And Instagram is not taking them down at this moment. Yes. Uh, thank you to those of you who uh, saw our call to report them. Uh, you know, we reported them ourselves and received a message back from Instagram that after they did some investigating, they saw that these people are not violating any community guidelines. Which so, is so crazy to me because yeah. they're like posting our faces, our videos, our content, and they're posing as us. And they're obviously a fake account because they only have like 12 or 15 posts that started on like Friday. But I guess in thinking about it, isn't posing as someone else like a core value of Instagram? <laughs> Shade, but also true. I mean, so many people do that. And uh, <laughs> that's something that's happening and you need to be aware of it because these scammers will reach out to people and offer you a reading. And it's not from us. We would yeah. never do that. So we're sorry to those of you who have been approached. Yeah. Um, it's very frustrating. But if you are listening to this and you are on Instagram and a someone from the spiritual gaze, I say it that way because they put two eyes uh, into spirit of spiritual. Yeah. Um, if they reach out to you being like, hey, beloved or whatever, we want to give you a reading. It's not us. Because we would not do that. Also, we would never misspell our name. We believe in grammar and spelling. So just keep your eyes peeled for all of that. But I think it does bring up a little bit of a larger conversation, which is something I've been thinking about with Saturn and Aquarius, as we have to take responsibility, Saturn, for technology and social media, Aquarius, which is that, you know, we are connected through Twitter, through Instagram, through Facebook, but also these platforms are limited. And so I just want to take this opportunity to remind you all of our newsletter, because that is a way in which you can stay in touch with us, and there's no middle person. It is direct. So if you are not signed up for our newsletter, I would highly encourage you to do so, because one day Instagram may just not be there, or we just might not feel comfortable being on there based on how things are going. Exactly. And I'll just let y'all know, because we're all signed up for a lot of newsletters, but we only send out two a month, just one with the new moon and one with the full moon. And you get homoscopes with the full moon and taroscopes with the new moon and pictures of Noche. So it's it's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. So you can just go to our website. Yeah. Just scroll down to the bottom of our website and there's a link. Uh, but, you know, I just think we have to take responsibility for our community and we can't let it be in the hands of these technological overlords who just don't give a crap. And that is a message sponsored to you by Aquarius. hey the more you know. <laughs> Should we introduce ourselves? Oh, yeah. We are the spiritual. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's two eyes in the second eye. So it's oh, spiritual, spiritual gaze. Yeah. I'm Angel Lopez. I'm one of the uh, hosts of this podcast you're listening to. I am a astrologer. 
a healer, a queeler, a dealer, a teacher, and a film producer, and a writer. And your most important role? Your husband. That's right. Don't you forget it. I wouldn't. I'm Brandon Alter. I'm a queer spiritual healer. I'm a tarot reader and an astrologer. I teach all of these things. And I'm also a writer and a performer and Noche's companion. Oh, yes. But also, I mean, I'm I, I'm still going to identify, I think, as Noche's dog dad. I think that's fine. I think yeah. Noche would want you to. Yes. We have an amazing Spirit Talk conversation coming up with uh, Animal Michael Lane, who is an animal communicator. And he talked to us at the end about how maybe using the word pet isn't the most helpful framing of our relationships with our animals. So, But he, he did say it was okay that if, if we wanted to like be Noche's dad or Noche's mom, I really feel like Noche's mom. Right. I like pick him up from soccer practice. I take him shopping. <laughs> he comes to my haircuts. That's true. I'm not just mom. And I pick up his poop around the house. We both pick up his poop. <laughs> um, sorry, trigger warning if you don't like to hear the the idea of picking up dog's poop. You know, actually, what's even more of a divisive trigger warning with um, dogs are people who either love or don't love when a dog licks their face. Oh my gosh, that is so... That is such a dividing force. Like one of my very best friends is like literally grossed out to see Noche lick my face. Not even his face, just my face. Oh, really? Yeah. He's like, oh, God, how can you let Noche do that? And I'm like, this is literally one of my favorite things that Noche and I do together is I let him lick my face. <laughs> it right. soothes him and it, frankly, soothes me. How do you feel about other dogs licking your face? I honestly am kind of into it. I just love dogs. If they want to lick my face, it's fine. I I am mostly there with you. I don't like when dogs lick my mouth. No. Brandon does not care. I, it's not that I don't care. Like, it's not my favorite thing. I'm not like, please, dog, like, put your tongue in my mouth. But, like, if it happens... <laughs> well, if that happened, honey, then we'd have some serious <laughs> issues. I'd be calling somebody. I'm, you know, I like, it just, it doesn't gross me out that much. Yeah, whereas for me, I don't really, I don't love that. I have this, I always think of... uh the Peanuts character, Lucy, who like when Snoopy would like get at her, she'd be like, dog germs or something like that. Like I have that immediate reaction when they're like by my mouth. But he can lick, you know, my forehead, my cheek. Your beard. I don't, my beard. Yeah, I don't mind yeah. that actually. Let us know how do you feel about dogs licking your face? Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> yeah. We'll put up a poll. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that is our spirit talk coming up. So we're going to try to move through these uh, two segments rather quickly. <laughs> you can see how well we're doing. We're doing great. <laughs> uh, well, let's get into a check-in. Okay, let's do it. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> this is where Brandon and I stand it off and do a stare off. Like, how, who's going first? How are you? 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 How are you, honey? I'm I'm well, actually. I'm very tired. Uh-huh. Um, I... I've, I think, spoken about how I'm in um, pre-production on a movie. She's producing a movie, everybody. Producing a feature film, She's everyone. She's a big deal Hollywood producer. Well, I don't know about that, but I am producing a film. And um, what's lovely is that we are shooting it here in L.A., so I get to stay at home, which is not always the case. It's lovely for all of us, frankly. Yes. Um, well, especially for Brandon, because if you heard on the last podcast, Brandon talked about how much... 
you know, there, what great enjoyment was received out of me being out of the house. Listen, <laughs> for the bulk of our relationship, you would leave the house during the day, and I've always worked from home, and so I enjoyed having, you know, free reign alone in the house. I'm just teasing. And then for the last two and a half years, I haven't had that. And I'm an Aquarius, so I like to I like to isolate sometimes. I like to be weird by myself. I understand. And I can't always be weird and loud by myself if you're in another room. You, yes. I mean, I will be weird by myself gonna, with you in another room. Yeah, I was going to say, that still happens. But it's easier if you're gone. I totally get it. And if you think that's weird, you can only imagine what sort of weird shit I do when you're actually not here. Oh, I, I can't imagine... But uh, we'll leave it at that. Fair enough. <laughs> Correct. It's your privacy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's just been hectic getting um, just into a, a pretty uh, just busy workflow. And um, on top of all the other things that uh, I have going on. So I have two very active writing projects, which is just super exciting and uh, we also have our big retreat coming up this weekend. Yeah, if you're listening to this when this podcast airs, like the day of, our retreat is tomorrow. Yeah, so um, so we're just doing all of the, uh, you know, finishing preparations for that. Uh, and yeah, super excited about it. So there's just like so much on the plate right now. Um, but, you know, I think in the past I've always like, like a, approached that from a place of overwhelm or exhaustion or you know just like why am i being thrown everything at once you know from this place of just like i guess just like underlying pessimism and i am just now really trying to approach it from like just like a place of abundance and being really grateful for everything that is going on in my life and uh, I think, if anything, just trying to also take care of myself in the process has been the real challenge, you know, making time for all of the, you know, self-health practices that I had in place before I had to start, like, reporting to places and things. Did you just say self-health practices? Yeah. I love that. Yes, yeah, self-health. S- self-health. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, I'm here for self-health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I miss my self-health. I got to take... Uh, a lovely hike yesterday, which I just felt like, you know, I used to take a hike like every other day in the canyon behind our house. And I hadn't been able to do that in like over a week. And it just felt like so nice, though. I was a little anxious because we had a rattlesnake moment this week. Where Snake gate 2022. Snake gate 2022, where we had a rattlesnake literally just like chilling at our front door. A baby rattlesnake. Baby, but still, no, you no, know. No, no, A baby rattlesnake is an important distinction because oh. baby rattlesnakes are more dangerous than yeah. full-grown rattlesnakes. Yeah, exactly. And this one was like, it was ready. She did not give a fuck. No, they were fully ready to coil up and pounce. So $400 later... We called Animal Rescue Service, and they came and they, they took that snake to the wilderness. But I know they come from... The canyon. The canyon above our house. So I was a little anxious to like go hiking up there uh, yesterday. I was like, oh my God, the snakes are everywhere. Um, it's also just like come up a lot. We were uh, scouting a location kind of wildernessy nearby, and um, I was just like standing 
uh, watching like in this patch of grass and this location guy came walking by me and was like watch out for the snakes it's their season and this is their territory and i was like oh my god and that was like the day after the rattlesnake incident i was like why are snakes following me um of course i then had to work with them on a spiritual level because that's what you do when you're a spiritual gay um but uh all that to say i'm really welcoming in all of the beautiful evolution and transformation that is coming into my life and um, courtesy of snake medicine yes and trying to approach everything uh from a different perspective um but i just want myself health time gonna i gotta i gotta navigate that once i move into production on how to uh create space for my own inner and physical needs you know yeah because for me working out is also like a big aspect of my health routine yeah and your I, mental health routine yeah and i don't want to lose that like i need that on like an almost daily basis so you'll figure it out i will figure it out you know what they say if you want something done give it to a busy person that's true so you're gonna get a lot done how are you well as the as the lead of snake gate 2022 because i was the one that was here dealing with it uh i want to just tell that story a little bit more fully because it was a really interesting and cool experience. And of course, immediately I was thinking about like snake medicine and why a snake spirit showing up. And uh, I love snakes. I've always loved snakes. And I was actually wearing my snake earrings the day of Snake Gate 2022. So the night before Snake Gate, Angel had seen this baby rattlesnake on the front lawn and Angel was very concerned about it. And I said, don't worry about it. It'll find its way back into the canyon. So then the next day, that snake was still there, like pretty much in the same spot. And I was uh, hanging out with a friend who I didn't realize is deathly afraid of snakes. And I was like, hey, look at this little baby rattlesnake. And she immediately started dry heaving. <laughs> and then I started laughing because I was just so surprised by that reaction. Um, and I've told this story to uh, quite a few people. And even when I tell them about the snake, they all start to get the heebie-jeebies. So I know, trigger warning for some of you, you don't like to think about snakes, but snakes are amazing animals. And in antiquity, they were symbols of the goddess. So whenever you are like reading about like, you know, people getting rid of snakes in like old stories, you know, like St. Patrick drove the snakes out of Ireland or whatever. What they're basically saying is when patriarchal religion came in and got rid of all the goddess religions. So snakes are the goddess. So if you're being visited by a lot of snakes, it's because there's a lot of divine goddess energy that wants to show up in your life. It's also, of course, an arbiter of transformation. So I'm thinking of all these things. I'm seeing the baby rattlesnake, and I'm trying to figure out what are we going to do with it. And I obviously don't want the snake to be killed because the snake deserves to live and live a good, happy life. So I was trying to get a hold of animal control, and it's summer, and it's here. And I mean, it's not quite summer, but we're getting close. And it's Southern California, so I couldn't get a hold of animal control because they're like super busy, and they didn't call me back for hours. I talked to the fire department dispatch, and I asked them, will this be handled in a humane way for the snake? And they said, it really depends on the fire people that you get. So I was like, well, I don't want to take that risk that I get some fire people. They're just going to kill the snake. So that's why we hired the service. So this sweet guy, Kyle, came over with a big, long snake catcher, which I think I just, if, if we see another snake, we're just going to buy a little snake catcher. It's just like a long, sticky thing with a trigger handle. So you can just like pick them up like a claw, you know, and then like put them somewhere. So literally took him three seconds. He picked up the snake with the snake grabber, put it in a like 
like a paint bucket and like twisted the lid back on and then was like, okay, we're all done here. And I was like, Kyle, you promised me this snake is like going to be well taken care of. And Kyle was like, yes, yes, yes. There's this place like off the freeway. It's like a big wilderness area. And we take all of the, you know, animals that we find and we, and we leave them there. So my friend and I named the snake baby Jane. And so now we know what happened to baby Jane. She got taken off the freeway at the 118 and Balboa <laughs> Avenue. And I hope she lives a very good life. But I learned something very interesting, which, again, might be a little disconcerting. But did you know that snakes, rattlesnakes, rattlesnakes, give live births? They do not lay eggs. They literally give birth to live snakes, which is horrifying and also kind of gorgeous simultaneously. So, you know, that's how I am. I'm just a snake right now, just shedding skins (laughs) and transforming and embracing the old goddess religions so it's just another tuesday basically in this in this world um you know and meanwhile i just spent a couple days down in san diego again helping my mom out in the hospital and things are progressing in the right direction and just want to say thank you to everybody who reached out to me both about my mom and also about coming out as non-binary i really appreciate all the messages and just the support and i'm really excited for our retreat and to come together with community it's gonna be great yeah I'm tired, but happy. I like that. I relate. Speaking of tired, should we... How dare you? <sighs> Not Looking you. right at me. I was talking about Pisces energy. Oh. Because there's still a little bit left. There is. Let's uh, dive into this episode's Cosmic, Cosmic Update. All right, so this week, Venus leaves Pisces, so the Pisces pajama party becomes a party of three, Mars, Jupiter, Neptune, and she enters Aries. Now, Angel and I like Venus and Aries because we have her natally there. She's spicy, she's flirty, she loves a chase, she's, you know, got her spike heels on, and she's walking up and down those streets. But she's gone in the morning. Well, she's definitely gone in the morning. Mm-hmm. Because she's busy. Yes. So when Venus moves into Aries, you will definitely feel a shift. And this uh, actually has already happened, uh, you know, with this podcast being released. And Venus in Aries really likes the chase. She's interested in pursuing. And she also likes to be the center of attention. So you might just find that your relationships, because Venus rules our relationships, are shifting from the spiritual bath of Pisces to a little bit more of a competitive arena of Aries. Yeah, and she also wants to connect with people to get shit done. So you may find, too, that certain things that were kind of existing in like nebulous form, you can now find resources or people to help actually get things going, to put things into action. And you may even find, too, because the Venus and Aries um, expression can also come with uh, new relationships that new people show up in your life as well. Um, There's also just like something around new cycles within relationships, too. So you can find yourself in a relationship that's maybe been operating at a certain level or in a certain manner and find ways to... Um, invigorate them in new ways or approach them in new ways. Yeah. 
That's really good advice. But what I will say is Venus in Aries is not very patient. So you either keep up with her pace or she leaves you in the dust. Yeah. Like I did with Angel when we were trying to watch Severance together. Yes. I left just, in the dust. I left Angel in the dust. I couldn't <laughs> wait. Had to move on without him. But I, I caught up quick. Well, I have one more to go. Yeah, but you did catch up quickly. Well, because it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, other big shifts. We have had Mercury move into Gemini. And that's a pretty big deal because Mercury's going to be in Gemini for a long time because he'll be retrograding there. He'll move back into Taurus a little bit, but yeah, mostly in Gemini. And then on Tuesday, Jupiter moves into Aries, which is a pretty big shift because Jupiter is an outer planet. And we definitely feel that about five days before Jupiter will return to Pisces for a little last act in December. But this is a pretty dramatic shift. Jupiter and Aries wants to help us grow through individuality through initiation. This is leadership energy at its finest. So once Jupiter moves into Aries, you're going to want to explore in your life and in your chart. Notice where Aries is in your chart. This is a place where you need to be the boss and kind of challenging you to grow into an authority for whatever that realm of your life is. For me, it's my first house, so I need to be an authority of myself. Yes. And I'm excited to be an authority of myself. Yeah, and Jupiter's going to shift into Aries and be there pretty much for most of the year. It's uh, going to have a retrograde moment back into Pisces um, at the very end of October, so pretty much most of November, and, and or all of November, and a good part of December. Um, we'll be revisiting the Jupiter and Pisces vibes. But, uh, but yeah, it's definitely Jupiter in Aries for most of the year, so it is really a good time to have an abundance of initiations in your life, you know, an abundance of beginnings and just an abundance of momentum. Yeah, there's a lot of fuel, which is great, but also be aware that Aries can be combative, competitive, aggressive, argumentative. And so with Jupiter there, it can create a short fuse for a lot of these tendencies. Yeah, I mean, it can create an abundance of war energy. So it's just something to keep in mind, too, yeah, that there is a combative nature that comes with that. And I do think it's interesting just to point out that, you know, this is, like you said, is happening on Tuesday, the 11th. Um, but that is the same day that Mercury stations retrograde. So um, when you have a planet either station retrograde or ingress into another sign, it just it feels you really feel the like shift. So just, you know, if you're hearing this before Tuesday the 11th, just anticipate that day as being one that is a real shift of energy, a shift of focus, a shift of, of dynamic for yourself. And this is all happening in eclipse season. So, you know, eclipse season can feel really intense. It can feel like something has to change immediately, even though it doesn't. And as always, we would encourage you to try to ground and take deep breaths and feel the energy, but don't let it push you around. What is that saying about like the dress that they always use? Oh, like, yeah. You want to wear the dress. You don't want the, the dress, dress to wear, to wear you. you. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that, right? Yeah. It's what Liza Minnelli says when she was selling her stuff on QVC. Yes. Yeah. If you need a pick me up, just Google Liza Minnelli QVC and just watch all 12 minutes of that. It is... I mean, we could basically quote it at this point. We've watched it so many times. You like the clothes? She liked the clothes. Thanks, George. I'll remember it. 
I was just working with clay. I was in the hospital. My knee was busting. I was just working with clay. Uh, we're going to watch that. Right now. At some point. Yeah, very soon. All right. Well, I think uh, that gives you just a little cosmic taste of what's going on. But now it's time to get into our lovely spirit talk that we had with Animal Michael Lane, an animal communicator and energy healer. Um, we you know, dive into uh, Michael's history around working with animals, um, but also just how you can have a, a better relationship in communicating with your own. And we will be taking, or at least I will be taking, I don't know about Angel, uh, Animal Michael Lane's Animal Communication Introduction Workshop, which I believe is June 11th, and it's remote, so you can take it from anywhere. And I just definitely want to make everyone aware of that because I really can't wait. And so without further ado, here is this episode's Spirit, Spirit Talk. All right, everybody, we are so excited to be in the spirit room having join us Animal Michael Lane, who is an animal communicator and also an energy healer for animals and humans. Um, so, Michael, welcome and thank you so much for agreeing to chat with us here today. Oh, I'm so honored and just thrilled to be here. I, I love it. I mean, we as the spiritual gaze, and I know a lot of the spiritual gaze community are obsessed with animals. Uh, it comes up a lot in conversation about familiars and obviously like we have a dog that is um, pretty much the glue that holds our family together, who <laughs> is featured a lot. <laughs> so I know a lot of our gazers, our listeners are really going to love getting to dive into the kind of spiritual understanding of our relationships with um, both like pets and also animals that are not pets. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to dive in here. Yeah, it's like my favorite topic. So. <laughs> Good. Okay, cool. Um, well, the place we usually like to begin is kind of taking you back and getting a sense of like, what was like the spiritual nature of like your childhood or your upbringing? And if you want to talk a little bit about how maybe animals factored into that, considering the work that you do, um, you're more than welcome to. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, you know, a lot of my animal communicator colleagues, you know, have a lot of memories and kind of walking around as a child and talking to animals and being close to animals. And I loved animals as a, as a child. Um, we had a lot, we had dogs and rabbits and see gerbils and hamsters and birds, no cats. Oh, wow. My father did not like cats and now I'm a cat person. So I did not really start that way. And mainly my, my childhood was kind of difficult and, uh, you know, parents that, uh, drank, and it was kind of that generation where, you know, the, the father was the head disciplinarian and things had to be, you know, run a certain way. And like I couldn't express myself and it kind of filtered in the way, you know, with the way they treated us was sort of like how they also, you know, uh, modeled treating animals. And that was to sort of yell at them that, or to hit them. Like, and God forbid they, you know, had an accident in the house. And that's stuff I learned because I, you know, like a lot of people, your father, or your mother, especially when you're really young, are, you know, they're gods. They know everything. And so this is the model. Now, 
I have a sister and she took on a little of that, but definitely not hitting and definitely not the worst excesses of that. So um, what happened is, you know, the animals kind of saw her as the only safe space. And, and for me, I woke up like in the middle of that, thankfully, as still as a child. And it was probably the first time I started to question like, um, you know, my parents don't seem to be gods because they don't, they're not getting this right. Yeah. And uh, I remember, you know, looking into this dog's eyes and this was like our third or fourth dog. So we had dogs that kind of suffered through this stuff before I woke up anyway. And uh, just the, just like it was the first time like I connected and just like could feel compassion and like because I was going through my own stuff, you know, and like they're, you know, uh, but, you know, thinking of another and another that couldn't talk to me. Right. And I looked in that dog's eyes and that was it for me. I was not going to do that anymore since then. And, you know, sort of getting out of that house and whatever and just it was a gradual sort of awakening for me. It just got bigger and deeper as the years passed to the point where, and a lot of stuff happened in between. You know, I became an alcoholic and drug addict myself. I had to, the, the, the biggest first awakening and first uh, huge spiritual uh, step for me was getting sober. And, you know, once I had that bedrock, like things just exploded for me. Like I, I realized that the spiritual life was everything that, you know, seeking that and sort of, and I am like so different from where I began and, you know, and the, and the animal stuff just came along. It's just like my heart opened up deeper and wider and, you know, my experiences with them. And I just saw them in a newer light and to the point where, uh, by the time I hit like thirties and early forties, it was like, I need to do something for them. I want to help them. And so that's sort of the speeding through like the early times. <laughs> yeah. I uh, know. I love hearing that. And it resonates with some of my own experience. Like when I found Marijuana Anonymous and got sober from, from pot and understood my own addictive tendencies, that was like the price of admission for a deeper spiritual experience. Yeah. And everything yeah. kind of opened up after that for me I, too. I, absolutely. And I love how you put that because it really like that I mean, just has how you put it. It was, it was sort of the price of admission. Like that gets you in the door. Like without that, I can't, I'm not, I wasn't capable of any relationships. First relationships I was capable of were animals. That was the only thing I could sort of hold on to through my drinking and drugging. And that, honestly, in terms of like, you know, pushing me towards sobriety. I mean, that's animals, like animals. So factor in my healing, like, it's just, it's insane. It's, I mean, without them, I, I definitely would not be anywhere near where I am. So was there one like pivotal animal experience that really um, sticks out as far as like a healing experience for you? Yeah. I mean, so, like I said, I did not grow up with cats and my first cat was, uh, you know, in my 20s. And that was like the worst time, my darkest period in terms of, you know, drinking 
and uh, drugs and uh, got him when I was like 24, 25. And then a year later, I got another cat just because I wanted to get him a friend. Those two cats, and I had never had cats. I just thought, well, they're probably easy to take care of. And the first one was a black cat. And I was like, well, that's cool, a black cat. I really had, you know, no, I, you know, and the, just the, the, the bond, the relationship I had with those two, just the unconditional love, because at that time, like I had no self-esteem, uh, you know, just like I was a wreck. And yet, like they kind of, I mean, honestly, they, they carried me through, like in terms of like my inner life, what, what little I had was because of my relationship with them. And this is only stuff I could recognize, you know, once I got sober and clean and I looked back and I was like, oh my God, what, what they did for me, you know? And, you know, so that just, that, that was the real beginning. And then like, I could go back to my childhood and go, oh my God, like, you know, the awful lessons I had to learn about how to treat animals in retrospect, like, um, but it, it, you know, I needed that teaching as well to make me who I am. And so, yeah, Bandit and Hooper, those cats were like the first like seminal. And then, you know, all the animals in my life have just like, I just realized this constantly, there's things to learn and grow just from your relationship with them. I feel like it's hard to even talk about or verbalize what it is that animals do for us because it's happening maybe like in realms that we can't see. But the first thing that comes to mind is the unconditional love part of it. Yeah. And that for a lot of us who maybe don't have that modeled by our parents, it's the first time we get to experience that sort of yeah. fountain of love and, and support. Yeah, it's been said a million times, but it's so true. It's so easy for them to do. It's their default. For us, we have to work at it. It's so true. It's so easy. You know, when I communicate with animals, like people think, you know, they're going to give up their secrets or they're going to say something embarrassing or they're going to be mad at their humans for doing something. It just never happens. Like the animals are so forgiving and so incredibly like, yeah, it's just unconditional love. It's easy for them. They, they do it, you know, automatically. Yeah. So there's that amazing unconditional love piece. And then in some of my experience with, with energy healing for humans, back before COVID, when I would have people come over to the space, Noche would always sit in the corner and would always hold the space. Like I could tell that he was grounding energy in a way that I couldn't perceive. But what else, what else do animals do for us? How would you begin to talk about that? Well, I mean, you know, they teach us about friendship. I mean, you know, when Bandit got older, I learned about... <laughs> caring for an older, you know, anything being, uh, you know, if, if bandit was a human, like just taught me, like, you know, it really is about self-sacrifice and like, you know, they, they get ill and, you know, it's just like, you, you know, you, you are there for them time after time after time. I never had experience like that. I learned about grief through the 
through the death of my cat, one, one of those two first cats, Hooper, because I had always, all my experiences with grief with like grandfathers, I just talked about this in my post, uh, and uh, great grandmother, that was when I was drinking. And I can remember like in the funeral and like showing up at the church and this ego stuff of like, you know, I can't remember which grandfather it was. It's just like, oh, they're all looking at me because I am, I am the, you know, family member of the fallen grandfather and just that ego, like, it's just like how alcohol and drugs is just such a disease of the ego. And, you know, once I got clean and sober and this little cat passing and the grief, like for the first time I had like, sort of like gotten rid of all the crap that was um, in the way of true feelings, authentic grief. I had so many of those experiences. And then like, you know, the friendship, the, uh, as you say, like things like, yeah, that animals can be healers that, you know, some, a couple of my cats will come down. I have one cat who, if there's a tough case, like he always shows up like in the, in a case, like where there's a sick animal. And I know that means like he wants to help. You know, and just like all these things, it's like once you open yourself up to them and, you know, it, it, it's like the sky's the limit. They teach you so much about and because it's not a human. So it's not our ego so much like their innocence in a way. We know they unconditionally love us. So we don't have to worry about judgment or like like we we are the most vulnerable with them. So that's why we can learn the most. We can, uh, you know, go deeper in some ways with animals than we can with humans, I think. Yeah. When I think, yeah, using that word judgment, right? Like, because that as humans is such a go-to, right? We all, even, we all fight that within ourselves, the judgment, which is why it's so funny that, you know, clients you work with are like, I don't want the dog to say something embarrassing or reveal like, you know, the thing I do late at night, you know, or whatever. It right, is. Like, right. Because we're, we're probably judging ourselves through that whole thing and are assuming the dog or cat in the corner is doing the same when really they're just like, can we go to bed now? Yes. And, you know, uh, I think when our animals pass too, and, and like all the sessions I have with animals that are passed and like people, you know, they have their baggage around that, their guilt about this, that, or the other, like, you know, when, and you know, that stuff, boy, can I talk to that? Like I had to do a lot of healing on that about how I was, you know, but I was a child for sure, but I still did those things, you know, and um, occasionally animals will show judgment towards other animals, I will say. Yeah. But I never get that with their people. Their people, they're so forgiving Um, and they can turn the page so easily unless you're actively abusing like an animal or whatever, they they just like, yeah, it just never goes away. And, but yeah, I mean, I think it's easier for people to be vulnerable with their animals because there's none of that stuff that comes with the be, uh, being a human being, you know, this ego stuff. Also, I find you still have to deal with rejection with animals when I'm like, I just want you to sit here and cuddle with me. And the animal's like, I'm leaving. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, too, that I learned is like, you know, just like a human, like is not 
always going to be in the mood to like, you know, your partner's not always going to be in the mood to cuddle. You know, it's sort of like one of the learning things for me is like, yeah, they, they have, they're their own silver and beans and they have their own wants and desires and they love me. But that doesn't mean like in this moment, they want to, they want to go over here and lay over there or they're, you know, they have their own wants and desires. And for, that's been another sort of like um, incredible teaching for me that I can respect that. And I know that they love that I do that. That's, you know, that's why these animals are so drawn to me is because I let them be them. And, you know, and yeah, and us humans, we can get easily bent out of shape where it's very casual. It's like, of course, I love you. Of course, I normally want to cuddle with you. Just in this moment, I want to go over here, right? Yeah. I think learning that animals have their own agency, um, both in this reality, but also in like the spiritual realms is a really important teaching. Yeah. And some of the like animistic work I do, I know that in the same way that I would have to ask like a person's permission, if I wanted to get some information about them, it's the same thing for animals as well. Like you can't just enforce your will on them, even if it's coming from a really good place. That's right. Some animal communicators is completely foreign to me. They see their job as, and, and the, their clients, the people who hire them as, you know, tell my animal, I want them to do this. And I always say like, they're strangers to me. I'm not going to tell them anything. Like I will get their side and then we can sort of figure out, they may listen to you, but they're not going to listen to the stranger. Right. And I also like, Hey, can I ask you about that? I do introductions. Like, you know, I make sure like you don't launch into a conversation with a human that you just met. It's the same with an animal. I've never had animals turn me down except when I didn't do a proper introduction. So, you know, there's some animals that they want, you know, they want a respectful introduction. Mm -hmm. What you realize or what I've realized in all these years of doing it is that the uh, the spiritual, the emotional lives of animals are just as deep and complex and rich as ours. It may be surprising, but um, I, I just, that's my experience. I've, I've communicated with plenty of animals. So I go, well, this animal's more evolved than I am. And I, in terms of my experience, like in my growth, I don't think I'm a slouch, but <laughs> it's just like, they have things to teach me. Like, you know, like I, I need to be quiet and listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Well, and that's the frustration I find with like just general society's relationship with animals, right? Like there is just this sense of detachment or, you know, a, a, a disbelief from them having any sort of rich emotional inner life. I do want to get into how the animal communication came into your life, you know, how it went from just like a love of animals and a connection to them to actually having this awakening of your gift and how that, how that showed up for you. Yeah. You know, again, it was another experience. So my, uh, adult life, my career, my main career was, uh, editing and, uh, movie trailers, mostly comedies D did that for, and, and still once in a while do it on a, on a freelance job once in a while. Um, but like 25, 30 years, like got to the, uh, and what happened is, uh, 
well, a lot of things happened, but um, ultimately sort of a burnout. My opening of my heart in terms of like animals was like, okay, I need to do something about this. And so I decided to go on a, first of all, I was like, I want to see some animals that are just hard to see or whatever, like they're doing their own thing. So it was either elephants or big cats for me. And I went with elephants. So, and it was a trip to Thailand to a village way in the mountains and um, they rehabilitate animals, uh, elephants that were sort of in the tourist camps there uh, or from the logging industry where they're just abused. I mean, they're just abused. So it's sort of returning them to kind of their habitat. And that experience, I had so many things happen. It was such another life transforming event. And at that point, you know, my love for animals and that was when I was like, okay, I need to, I need to make it my work that I'm doing something for animals. And so when I came back from that trip, um, I didn't, I was just exploring different things just to see like, okay, is it a pet store? And, you know, I did some work in there or is it a sort of a kennel or a boarding service or, you know, and I explored, I went kind of deep with that. Um, you know, uh, in LA, they have cat cafes now. And at that time that I was exploring it, I was thinking about being the first one because there were none. Along in there, I just took a class. Again, like I was experimenting. Like one of the best things in terms of like my own spiritual journey is I've just had this a series of openings where I just like open to more and more stuff. Like I want more. I want more of this. Like what's over here? What, um, you know, things like tarot and astrology were in my twenties. I thought was just bullshit. Animal communication, the same, like, this isn't real. This is a, this is phony. This is not. And, you know, in my spiritual growth, I realized not only is this not phony, this is the stuff. This is the important stuff. So I took a class and I realized that the way in in order to, on animal communication, uh, you know, this was a teacher who was kind of demonstrated herself by picking people in the audience and just like connecting with. And by the way, I, I think that's hard. Like, I don't like doing live events where I'm communicating because it's for me, I need to get quiet and stuff. But she was doing that. And I was like, well, this is interesting. I just wanted to explore it further. And I also realized that the, the, the mode of connection was through meditation. At that time, my meditation practice had developed like in gangbusters. I was to the point where I was having visions. I was getting like, you know, answers to life questions like really easily. And like, I, you know, it was just like, so I was really into meditation and the fact that these two things went together. And I just, explored it further. And once I started doing it, so it was, you know, with people whose animals I didn't know, um, and sort of connecting and realizing that I was doing it, that this was happening. I was like, Oh, this is, I want to do this. And so I went, got more serious training and, and yeah, and that's where I am. So when you communicate with animals, you're in a meditative state. Do you feel like it's an altered state? Like, are you 
leaving this realm per se or yeah i mean in a way uh because basically animals natural language is telepathy hmm. um i know people think that's very woo woo or whatever and i you know this is kind of the focus of my class like what is telepathy and simply it's a just transference of pictures words and feelings from one being to another. And we do this. We know this language. It's forgotten. We only kind of focus on speech now. But this is what animals, this is their natural. Yes, they'll vocalize and they'll bark and they'll meow and whinny and all that. But their real bedrock language is telepathy. And it's really actually practical. The meditation is just to ground you, to quiet you, to you know, shut the brain up so you can receive the messages. So the messages are clear. So you can sort of pick them apart. The big pitfall in this, it's very easy, but is your own thoughts. You know, how do we know that it's them and not our own thoughts? And, you know, really the answer is practice and you got to be able to meditate. And yeah, I would say it's on another level in a way. So, for example, like if your dog was the subject, say, people always ask me this, when we're in class, we'll talk to one animal and there'll be 15 people at once. And they're like, how can that happen? And I'm like, well, it's not speech. There's not, you know, 15 different conversations going at once. It's like a, a different level of communication. So in that sense, it is. And it transcends space and time. I don't have to see the animal or be in the same room or touch the animal. I can know the animal's history if they want me to know it, right? So it transcends space and time. So in those ways, I guess it is, you know, it's sort of in another dimension, but it's absolutely practical. Yeah. And I'm curious in, you know, as you were getting going into your practice, um, you know, when we're doing readings for humans, you you can find ways to get confirmation, right, of the work. So, you know, you say something and they're like, oh, that's exactly this. Or, you know, you get that direct confirmation. Um, as you were moving into your practice and, and doing more practicing, were you having uh, experiences of confirmation, too, that allowed you to be like, oh, this isn't just me making shit up. This is actually... Yeah, the that's, connection. That was everything. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this if, um, you know, I thought if any, if I thought anyone was making it up, right? I can't. No way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the. There's always sort of, uh, in a way, the easy things that you can f confirm. So people usually come to me and they have a problem with their animal. And along with everything else, I just want to, I get their personality, right? I get like, you know, how they feel about other humans or animals. And like, once I start talking about that stuff and they go, yeah, yeah, that's, so there's always like easy things in order to confirm that you're really doing this. And, you know, there's a part of me, like that old part of me, especially, and, and yeah, and that where we are as a society, this is, mm, this is still on the fringe. You know, even like tarot, astrology, I think these are matrices. These are, these are systems for understanding what our experience is. I think they're essential and yet they're still fringe. Do you know what I mean? So I, same here. Like to me, it's like, 
you know how to communicate with an animal and we all do, we can all do this, then we realize that there's no separation, that they actually are our brothers and sisters. And, you know, occasionally you'll get a thing wrong or whatever. Well, you know, what happens when you're conversing with someone, you're going to have miscommunication, right? There's things you're not going to understand or you're gonna, it's going to come out wrong. That's not what I said, right? That happens here too. You know, my training was just a series of animal after animal after animal. Uh, none of these animals I knew, none of these people I knew. And they go, yes, that's it. You know, I would offer free sessions to everybody. So I talked to hundreds of animals. And, you know, when you have that much experience, you go, yeah, this is real. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, though, in my own experience, you know, like I've done hundreds of healings and there is that like queer maybe it's an ego thing maybe it's a humility thing but every time right before i get ready i'm like will it work this time you know like there's that that queer doubt that shows up oh, I, i'm so glad you brought that up because 100 percent, i get that too i get that too i mean i think i get it because it's so important i to me this is so important you know, it's just like, but yeah, there is that. I remember this happened recently, like, but it always comes in. We're human, right? We're human. And all our programming is like, this is not real. This is not real. You can't do this. That's what we've heard. You know, kids, especially before they're verbal, they go right into communicating with animals. That's what they do. They communicate with unseen spirits. They communicate with trees. They communicate with flowers. And then what, you know, the adults say, grow up. This is not real. It's imaginary, right? I constantly just, I think last week or two weeks ago, I was talking to an animal who passed and I had that ego thought flash, you know, it was a good session. Everything was going well, flowing. I was taking a lot of notes and it was just like, is this really, am I really connected to this dog or whatever? And the dog like answered me because you realize you're, you're kind of saying this out loud. <laughs> so the dog was like, yeah, of course you are. And I, have, <laughs> and I, you know, you're kind of falling behind here. I have other messages <laughs> to get to my person. And yeah, it was just so funny. Like I, yeah, I laughed because my ego jumped in and I probably would have, not even been aware of it, and uh, but the dog was. <laughs> yeah. Wow. The dog's like, we got work to do. Yeah. Yes. Get it together. Get out of your own Basically. way, buddy. Let's keep moving. So I'm curious, do you experience a difference between communicating with animals that are in your physical presence, animals that are not in your physical presence, and animals who have passed over? Um, in terms of being in my physical presence or not, that doesn't matter. Uh, at all in terms of an animal that's past in terms of versus an animal that's living yeah there are differences but it has nothing to do with my connection to them it usually has to do with them hmm. uh you know an animal who is not in their body anymore is just energy in their past like it's kind of what we'd expect. They're in sort of a state of grace. They, just like you would imagine a human soul can, they can reflect on their lives. They have sort of perspective on like what that was all about. Thankfully, I've been lucky. I've been blessed. Like, for example, to communicate with a, uh, one example is a sick cat and communicated about three times in terms of his illness approaching his death. 
And then the animal, the cat passed. And soon after that, I communicated with him again. And it was like night and day. It was like a personality change. And what I realized is because, yeah, he was not suffering anymore. He was not tied to that body, like his, his real self. And, you know, the people that I was relaying the messages from this cat could recognize the before, you know, when the animal was sick and the after. And they, they cried because, you know, the after is like, that's his real personality. That's how he was before he got sick. And of course, that one was amazing too, because like I said, I met animals that are more evolved than me. Like that animal is talking about the afterlife and what it was like. And it's like, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to learn something here, you know? So, you know, a lot of this work is really the humans and the animals. Like it really is. And, you know, the humans, and especially as the animals, you know, headed towards passing, if they're sick or whatever, they have a lot of stuff. And once the animal's like kind of free of those emotions, like, and usually it's really healing. If the, if the person had all this grief and stuff and they get a chance to sort of connect with their animal after the death of the body, you know, sort of the perspective that the animal has is like, it really just like, it, it, it's healing. Do you find that like, is your technique any different when you're doing like animal mediumship or working with animals that are still on, you know, are still alive? My approach is just, um, it's very simple. It's just be open. Like, I don't, I don't like, I, I, I just know the sort of the beats in terms of connecting with an animal. And then certain things develop for me, for example, that seem to be just mine. So for living animals, for some reason, it developed that it, uh, the introduction almost it goes as if I'm kind of walking over to your house and, and meeting the animal for the first time. And honestly, that does tell a lot. So I can tell sort of, in fact, that first picture of the animal in that meeting. And from what I know, other animal communication, uh, communicator colleagues don't necessarily do that. But that just happened. I didn't like, you know, so I can see what the animals walk is like, what they physically, like the emotions, like the telepathic communication. There's so much information, like it is way better than speech in terms of efficiency and, and sort of getting information across. Because think about it, pictures and emotions, there's so much stuff that's in like one picture, right? One image. You know, I'm the, I could I could spend half a page or a page just describing what that image is and the emotions, particular things of technique or whatever. I never said this is what I'm going to do. It just sort of happened naturally, which I love. You know, often when animals are close to passing and this is something I didn't I didn't like, OK, I want this to happen. It was just like it happened. So for me, I often see, and I don't know why I don't, I can't explain this, but I'll see the sort of the healthy spirit, I would say, on the left, and it'll be like completely different emotionally. And then on the right will be the body, it will, the, the, the sick body, the animal who is sick. And in a way, I'm getting like two sides, but the spirit's doing all the talking, but like, because when people 
engage me. They want to know, okay, how is my animal feeling? Are they suffering? So I have to have that information. How is the body doing? But, and this just developed. It was like, okay, spirits on the left. And then I see the body on the right. And I I don't, you know, I didn't ask for that. I didn't say like, okay, structurally, you know, I didn't order that. That just happened. Yeah. I think that's amazing though. It's just like in any sort of spiritual work, trusting the intuitive process and, and just following it wherever it wants to lead you. That's the key. Yeah. You know, just being open and just like, yeah, this is beyond me. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. And I just like, I'm, you know, wherever it takes me, I'm ready. Same thing with animals. I don't have any expectations. Like the people have all their thoughts and, you know, about like what the animal is going through or whatever. And I have to listen to that and they might be right. But I have to like put that to the side because I don't know what the animal's going to say. Animal might be completely different about and often is. Yeah. Well, we project so much onto our yeah. animals, right? Yeah. So it's like the animal's fine, but it's it's our shit that we're kind of putting onto them. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm curious about this, and this is maybe maybe you've gotten this question before, but maybe you haven't. I'm curious about gender and animals' experiences of gender, and if it's as kind of rigid as we have been taught to experience gender as humans. Has that ever come up? And what might you be able to say to that? Uh, there's not, there's not the sort of pressure on it. Like I don't, it's not really an issue. And one example I can give from my own sort of personal, like, you know, I have five spirit animals, like, and I know, I think Brandon, like it says on your website, you do some kind of spirit animal. I love, love that. But none of them ever showed up as a particular gender. Yeah. Except one, one. And I just think it was a, <laughs> it was a cow and came as a nurturing sort of female mother. And I probably needed that or something. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, for sure. There's not the uh, drama around it that there is for humans. It's pretty sort of, I don't think it, it's just not an issue one way or the other. I mean, generally, I, I suppose at the end of the day, you know, a lot of them will identify as male or female, but I don't like, I don't. My own thing is that I don't expect the male to be like, you know, all these stereotypes that we have, right? The male's dominant and the, uh, I, and especially with animals that are companion animals to people, like there's no rules for that. Like there's no, a male animal isn't this, that, and the other, and a female's that. So I just don't think it, it's the hot button issue that it is for us. Yeah. I was just curious about the the fluidity they might experience and certainly like in the spiritual realm the power animals with which i work can sometimes appear as male or female or it, like or it doesn't even come up you know like i wouldn't even right. be able to tell you if a certain power animal that i work with all the time is male or female like it just there's right. they're just spiritual they're they're all of it and none of it right um but it comes up personally because for whatever reason a lot of times in noche our dog people will be like oh she's so cute Ocean, I'll be like, well, technically he's born a biological male, but, and I was just always wondering, like, I wonder if like animals are picking up on that at all, or they're like, we don't, we don't care. (laughs) I mean, I've done that. Uh, You know, I don't, you know, I can't say what it means, honestly. Like, uh, does that mean like, you know, I mean, it could be as simple as like in their last life, maybe they were, you know, or last life, Nochi was a female and that's just like carrying over 
more or something. I don't, you know, I, I don't have a judgment and I don't, they don't worry about it. So I don't, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Fair enough. And like, yeah, spirit animals, I have four out of five that gender has nothing to do with it. It's just like, as you say, it's the spirit of the animal and that has nothing to do with the gender. And then I think the cow one for me was just like, that's to help me personally. Do they assist you in terms of the work that you do with other animals? Yeah, they're, they're kind of like on my intuitive team. So I always, you know, when I do the meditation to meet the animal, I feel that they're always at my back, like in a picture of that, like they're all there. Uh, one of my, if I'm doing lost animals, uh, and this again just happened. <laughs> so I have an elephant, uh, um, as one of my spirit animals and the elephant is the one who kind of retrace, uh, will kind of go in the path that the animal left the place. Uh, and I've had that work several times. Like, and I didn't, again, ask the elephant to do that. It was just like, that's how it showed up for me. It's an experience I've had too, where certain spirits are specialists in certain things, you know, like the elephant's really good at finding and there are other spirits that are really good at, you know, giving power or healing or things right. of that nature. Yeah. Right. I'm glad you spoke to that part of your work too, because I was, uh, I was curious about that and intrigued by the process of helping locate lost pets. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah. That takes, um, usually several different disciplines, uh, honestly, and, uh, still animal communication is the most important, but you know, there's also remote healing involved. I do EFT tapping because, uh, and I don't know if you're aware of that, but like the fear and the panic that goes along with that stuff is a huge block. And so we have to, we have to clear that out. Uh, in order and generally for the animal to come back and it's normal. Um, but yeah, it's like, uh, lost animals is like, I have to do several things. And when you say clearing the fear and panic of the humans or of the animal or both? Well, both. Yeah. Uh, a lot, the humans, the humans get really, and I, it's expected. I, I don't like have any judgment of, but they get in their own way with that stuff. And it's really hard. I, I completely get it. And that's why it's just like, I kind of, you know, I'm not, I don't want to do just a one-off session on that. It's like, um, there's several things that I think need to happen. You know, one of them is like, what are you feeling and going through? And we need to deal with that, you know, the, the human. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go down a little rabbit hole that you just opened up. So I'm curious about animal past lives. And in your experience, do you feel like an animal's past life could be as a human? Or do you think animal spirits tend to stay animal spirits and human spirits tend to stay human spirits? Uh, absolutely. Can be a human. And yeah. uh, I would say the vast majority are animals to animals, but enough have happened that they aren't that I don't think there are any rules about that. And I think sometimes I, you know, I don't know exactly how it works, but I, I, it just seems to me like if the world is as, and the spiritual world is as amazing as I think it probably is. And me knowing only this little part of it, 
then I don't think there's going to be any barriers. Like in my experience and all the animals I've talked to, I've definitely met plenty who were people and they, and that, you know, sometimes the session is, it seems to be about that. And sometimes it's just like, it comes forth so strongly that I have to report it. Um, and usually the person will go, yeah, I feel that. Do you know what I mean? Like recently it was like, uh, you know, this, this animal was a child in a past life and you know, just some of those details. And the woman was like, I, I really feel that. Like, I feel like this is my baby, my, and it's kind of more than just like a human animal thing. Cool. Thank you. I'm glad we could, I'm glad we could go down that little rabbit hole. together. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know, the normies, like they'd be like, Oh, come on. But like, yeah. we know, I, I don't know. I, I've, I'm in this work enough that, like all bets are off. I realize like we know so little and I am just so open to like, you know, why put those limits? And I, I mean, I walked around like that myself. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I thought massage was voodoo for crying out loud. <laughs> Never mind the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. And I realized like this is the stuff. This is what it means to sort of have a spiritual life and a life. And like, these are the mysteries that I think are the most important. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, to me, like life is about evolution, right? And for us to like welcome ourselves into our own personal evolution and, you know, even just hearing your story of where you began in your relationship with animals to where you are now, I mean, that is, that is the stuff. And I think all of this spiritual work we've talked about um, it's all in service of of someone's evolution, right? Whether yeah. it's the evolution they have in the relationship with their animal or with themselves or what have you. So it's all necessary. I'm curious uh, if people are separated from their animal, let's say, you know, I have to leave for a job somewhere across the country for a month or you know, certain circumstances take a pet I've had and they have to go live with someone else. As, are there ways, you know, perhaps like telepathic ways that people can still stay in communication with that animal? 100%. The one takeaway, the most important takeaway about all this is like, yeah, my training is that I can not only send messages, but I can understand them coming back. Everyone can send the messages to their animals and it has nothing to do with being in physical contact. You can be telepathic with your animals, even if you don't feel like you can understand their messages back. So when you go on your trip, you know, you could call it like a psychic phone call. And let me tell you, like I was not in deep in animal communication. Someone suggested that I do this when I go on trips for my animals, I notice the before and after. Before I did this, I come back, say for a month, say that trip to Thailand, that was a month. I come back, all my cats are like hiding under the bed and it takes like four days and they're kind of like, who are you? And like, why did you do that? You know, you know, before they're back to normal, like almost a week. And so, I don't know, someone told me to do this. And so when I go on a trip now, like now I tune into them and it's sort of like a mini version of what I do. It's more effective in a meditation. doesn't have to be, 
But, you know, meditation is also like people are scared of that. Like it's, uh, it seems like too difficult for everybody. Meditation could be as simple as closing your eyes, taking a deep breath. That's it. That's That can be a meditation. But like when you go on your trip, just like picture your dog or cat or whatever and say, what would you say to him if you called him up on the phone? You say, hey, I love you. I miss you. I'm going to be back. Now, the important thing for the animal, I'm going to be back and you tell him when. You tell them when. You tell them that it's uh, seven days. And then the next day, you should do it again. And now it's six days. Then it's five days. So the animal's like, you know, they're smart. They're intuitive. They get that message. Oh, it's getting closer. I can feel him coming, you know, and he's saying all these nice things. He's checking in with me. And to me, it was night and day when I did that. When I came back, after I started doing this, my cats met me at the door and they were so excited. So make those, they're just like a five minute meditation per day. Like, I don't know, once in the morning, once at night. And again, like it doesn't, doesn't have to be that involved. Close your eyes for two minutes and picture your dog. And I love you. I miss you. I'm going to be back in seven days. I can't wait to see you. It also helps Remember, this is telepathy, so pictures and feelings. So if you can send pictures, especially the reunion, like you showing up at the door with your suitcase and you come in and it's like, what does that reunion look like? You want to you send a strong picture of that. And you'll see. You'll see that they're noticeably less anxious than, than when you, know, you didn't do things like that. All right, cool. Well, I'm gonna, we're going to practice that when we go to dinner or the grocery store so this one doesn't yeah. have a panic attack yeah totally <laughs> just like take five minutes at dinner and just let noche know in two hours we'll be back yeah exactly uh, you should try it yeah we're gonna oh it's, we will yeah that's exciting <laughs> um so i'm aware of the time but i think this is kind of a good way to start to wrap things up because earlier in our conversation i asked you like what do what do animals do for us but i'm i think even more curious about what we can do for animals especially from like a spiritual perspective. So for everyone listening, what advice would you give, you know, for people that are really connected to animals, what can we do to support, encourage, and make, make the lives of our pets, but also just animals in general better? You know, in terms of the practical steps, because I, I think ultimately what we want to get to is that we see them as our brothers and sisters and not as lower and lesser. Um, I don't use the word pet because I think that's a, that's a lower, you're, you're down here. You're just for my enjoyment. And so it's what I call the human filter. And if you can sort of like maybe see the world through their eyes, and to me, the best practical step with that is communicating with them. You know, what we just talked about when you go out to dinner, you're taking five, 10 minutes out of your dinner, out of your trip to connect with your animal. That's, that's going to be noticed. That kind of stuff, if we do that on a regular basis, like even if we can't understand their messages back, because believe me, they, they would love, they're sending them all the time. But if we make an effort to sort of see it through their eyes and the best 
again, practical step is communicating with them. And again, like, yeah, they don't understand English or speech, but they will get the messages because underneath it all, we, we have this skill of telepathy. We just let it fall away. We have no awareness. But when you say you're going to the market, when you just say that, your brain's going to come up a picture of what the market looks like, some picture. That's telepathy. And whether or not you have your attention on it, it's happening. So if you now with intention communicate to your animals and realize that they have their own, like if you want them to do something, they may not want to do it for whatever reason. But just see that it's like, this is not my pet. This is my brother, my sister. This is a, this is a family member. You know, that kind of stuff, like it changes everything. And all the small ways that you can sort of like, you know, acknowledge that and sort of recognize how sacred that is, how special that is. Like this animal is choosing to be with you for your whole life and live in your house and give you unconditional love and teach you so many things about being a human. And it's like, yeah, you can communicate with them, express your appreciation consciously rather than like now you know that, oh, they're actually paying attention to us. They are getting our messages. All right. Well, I think we need to close this conversation, but I want to let everyone know that you teach people how to do this stuff. So I know there's a lot of people that are probably like, I want to know how to do this. Will you tell people like, what are some of the the classes, workshops that you offer? Yeah. um, June 11th, I have an introduction animal communication class. There's still plenty of spots. I I have it limited to 15. You don't have to have any experience. I'm going to show you how to do it. Like you can come out of that class and you will know how to communicate with animals. Then it's sort of up to you to do it but we're going to be doing it in the class. It's not about competition or performance. I don't think it's actually, you're, I'm not teaching you a new skill. I'm reconnecting you to an ability that you already have and have kind of forgotten about. To me, it's like things change like right after that usually, especially if people keep at it, if they keep practicing. Amazing. And where can people find you and find out about all these sorts of workshops and, you know, doing one-on-one work with you? Yeah. Um, so everything is Animal Michael Lane. So my website is animalmichaellane.com. And that's, you know, all spelled out, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-L-A-N-E, animalmichaellane.com. And then those are my uh, Facebook, I'm Animal Michael Lane at Instagram, I'm Animal Michael Lane. So pretty consistent. Um, well, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to educate us and just you know make us even more aware of how we can be connected to our animals. Uh, I've had such a blast, and I, you know, I all your questions are good. I love your interests. I, you know, I believe we're all sort of in the same work together. So I love you know, I love that you invited me and, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled. Oh, thank you so much, Michael. All right. I will no longer think of, uh, Noche as a pet. I will try to do brother or sister, but it is child. Okay. Or do you think they don't <laughs> like that either? They, no. does this child seem like pejorative or, I mean, if that is what you feel in deeply and intuitively, again, like there's no, sometimes animals do are, are feel 
sometimes like it's a brother sister thing. Sometimes it's a, uh, a child thing. Yeah, so it's like my wise and, old child. <laughs> and I'm not trying to judge anyone either. I'm just, um, cause I used to say all those things too. Uh, I used to say pet or whatever. It's just like, I, I don't know. It's, these are small changes that sort of made a difference for me. Yeah. No, it makes um, sense. It's even in the way that, you know, we talk about like in some of the animist workshops we teach, we talk about like, well, they're not really like your helping spirits. They don't belong to you. They're working right. with you. Right. And even that little shift makes a big difference. Right. Like I have the utmost, like such respect for these uh, spirit animals that are helping me. It's like, they don't have to do that. Like, yeah. They're not yeah. mine. They just have deigned right. to work with me. Right. Amazing. Thank you so much, Michael. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you. Oh, Michael, thank you so much. What a great conversation. I'm so glad we were able to have that. Yeah, thank you again. He just has such a wonderful way about him. Mm-hmm. I want to be his friend. <laughs> <laughs> now you are. hey Um. All right, so we're going to finish off this episode with a tarot card poll. So just take a moment and allow yourself to get grounded. If you're not like driving a car or like walking, you know, on a busy street, you could even close your eyes and just take a moment to connect to the cards by listening in to the sound of them being shuffled. So we're just asking for one car to help us connect with the most available invitations and opportunities until we meet again, trusting that this message will resonate no matter the future place or time to which you listen to this episode. The Seven of Cups. So sevens in the tarot are spiritual. They connect us to the spiritual realm, and they ask us to look through that kind of elevated lens, whatever the realm of the suit is, and cups, as we know, are emotions, intuitions, and relationships. So the Seven of Cups actually carries with it a lot of Neptune, and we still have Neptune in Pisces. We still have Jupiter in Pisces. We have Mars in Pisces for a little bit longer. And sometimes, because Pisces is such a creative and a romantic and a sensitive, they can be easily diluted. They can buy into the hype. So the Seven of Cups asks us to make a choice from the heart and make sure that we're not making choices from a place of delusional or wishful thinking. It's a card that really wants to help us get clear on why we're choosing what we're choosing and to kind of dig in to some of our unconscious motivations. So it's like, why are you choosing this relationship over that relationship? Is it because your ego is getting involved? Or is it because you really feel supported in that relationship? Are you choosing from a place of fear? Or are you choosing from a place of abundance? Are you allowing yourself to be glamored? It's a card that asks us to step back, reassess, and notice where we might be glamored by other people, places, things, or even our own wants. So how do we do that? We get back into the wisdom of the heart. We let the heart choose. Uh, it's like that moment in Indiana Jones where there's all those cups and he has to choose the right one. And you choose it from your intuition. You choose it from your heart. It's a cups card. It's not a swords card. You don't choose what's right from your head. You have to choose what's right from your heart. And if you don't know how to let your heart choose, and then that's step one, right? Figure out how to get back into the heart. Like Michael was talking about, you know, how do I open up? How do I get still? 
How do I find that neutral place from which I can receive the messages, not just from animals, but from the own animal of your heart? So that's where we are right now. It would also suggest that there's a lot of possibilities, a lot of options, which is great, and also sometimes a little overwhelming, and you don't have to choose them all. Just choose the right one for the moment. And if the others are still there later, you can choose those two. Cool. I like that. Feels like a good, just like present approach to where things are right now in your life. You know, like if you're presented with two Instagram accounts, both claiming to be the <laughs> spiritual gaze, let your heart tell you which one is right. Or just Certainly your eyes. not the one that greets you with say, yeah. grand rising, my beloved. All right. It's like, we're not Maya Angelou. Or just the one that spells it correctly. Well, also that. Yeah. I mean, I know sometimes you have to choose like an awkward spelling for things if you're going for a certain brand, but we were here first. Then we'll be here last. <laughs> Thanks for being here, gazers. You know we love you. We miss you. We miss teaching, honestly. So we're starting to develop our astrology offerings for summer school. Yes, there will be a summer school. We promise. Uh, definitely want to teach uh, electional astrology, teaching solar returns, maybe working with Chiron. Let us know what you want to learn. We're so excited to get the classroom back up and running. You know how to find us. Twitter, Spiritual Gaze, Instagram, The Spiritual Gaze, spelled correctly. Find us on Facebook. You can always shoot us an email. Find us on the astral plane. Yes. So until next time, this, this has been, been your, your transit, transit through the spiritual game.